0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Football Die podcast. Manchester United are winners of the Carabao Cup. Absolutely buzzing that we've got our hands on some silverware. So we'll be talking about how that happened in the first place. What differences have been made to the squad under Eric Ten Hag so far? And is this the start of some significant changes for United? Hopefully that's the case. Uh, We'll also dive into the Premier League, of course. Uh, Starting with Aston Villa, I think, and their resounding victory um, and Ollie Watkins' form in particular, will be zooming in on that and what the difference is for him this season. He's uh, got the longest goal-scoring run in their history, which is great to see. And on the flip side, West Ham, Danny Ings, since he's left Aston Villa, scored a brace in their 4-0 win in a must-win victory over Nottingham Forest um, and that raises some questions about their performance in the future too. But Miles, United winning the Carabao Cup will start there. Great scenes at Wembley, United um, richly deserve their win. Some have argued it's an easy run to the final, but I think the way they're playing under Ten Hag at the minute, this is kind of the first step in that rebuild, isn't it? He's made some significant changes to the team and just to the general vibe at the club as well. What have you seen from United, especially from this game at Wembley, that's made you realise that something good is happening there at the minute?
1: First of all, I take offence to anyone that says it's an easy run to the final after they knocked Villa out, but... We'll move on from that one.
0: <laughs> no. Well, it's been flagged, that's all. And uh, I, I, I'd say there's no such thing as an easy run to any final, but I'll take what I can.
1: Well, I don't know. If you look at Man City's draws over the last few years, maybe we'd argue differently.
0: No, it was it was a great
1: win. It was a really efficient win and a really professional performance. And that's something you expect from a, a team that is used to winning. This Man United team isn't that used to winning. I think it's their first trophy in six years. And obviously it's Ten Hag's first at the club, but it seemed very natural for them to take this final on. Yeah. Now, obviously, that comes with the experience of some certain players in the in the team and, and what they brought to the organisation and the system. But generally speaking, I didn't think Newcastle really bothered Man United at all in this game. I thought it was a really comfortable victory. Although Newcastle had more of the ball at times and maybe brought the ball forward a, a bit more, that was United's game plan. They knew that they were set up defensively well enough to deal with anything Newcastle had to throw at them. And they knew how clinical they could be on the break. And that's exactly what we saw. It was a really good performance, I thought. It was a thoroughly deserved victory. And I think a lot of those players will feel like a bit of a monkey's off their back, getting that first trophy win, particularly under Ten Hag.
0: True. It's interesting you said first trophy win. It does feel like it's the start of something, Mm. doesn't it? And I think when we try and analyse the differences from the first game of the season to now, it's that core in the middle for me, that Casemiro, Rafael Varane and Martinez kind of pivot of three. That's just such a solid core of a team, yeah. isn't it? Everything kind of ran from that, from what I could tell. And it's been like that for a few weeks now. Casemiro in particular just enables everyone around him to play their game better. Mm. And it was the same in the final, really, wasn't it? It was just a literally a, a showcase for him to play everything around him and give, I don't know, comfort to those to play their game the normal way, particularly the ones in front of him as well. They could go forward mm. knowing that he was there.
1: Yeah, it has to be the signing of the season for any club, I, I think. Uh, if we remember when he came in, A lot of people raised eyebrows at the kind of fee that was being paid for someone of his age. And obviously, he was always kind of considered the less glamorous of the Real Madrid midfield. But actually, it's exactly what Man United have been crying out for for years. And they've attempted to fill that gap for a really long time. Fred was supposed to fill that gap, but he's not really that kind of player. They tried to bring Tomine through. He's nowhere near the standard. And then there's been big money signings as well. Let's not forget about the, the time that Schweinsteiger spent at Man United or when they brought in Morgan Schneiderlin, for example. They've tried everything Sorry. Man United to fill that hole. And a, a top-quality defensive midfielder is hard to find. But Casemiro not only has filled that space, but also is helping United progress with the ball as well. His passing range has been yeah. outstanding. The fact that he got forward for a goal in this final seemed really deserved. He brings a presence of a winner. I think he's won 13 of 14 finals he's ever been in his career. And that's the sort of thing that United need right now. And I I do think it's worth pointing out that this big signing from a huge club hasn't worked for United over the last few years. If you look at some of the big moves Man United made under the last few managers since Ferguson left, particularly players they brought in from elite level clubs, It seemed to be like a last payday or kind of players that have underwhelmed. You think of the likes of Angel Di Maria or Falcao or even Schweinsteiger, it fits into that category. But now that Ten Hag is there as an efficient coach with a a clear plan, players like Varane and Casemiro that have come in from Real Madrid are back playing the kind of football that's going to see them excel. And that's something Man United have really lacked over the last few years. So that winning mentality is in the squad, but it was up to Ten Hag to bring that out. And I think having that strength and that core down the middle, like you say, has enabled everyone else to play better as well. It really has brought out the best of a lot of players.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned Fred as well. Mm. We've seen the best of him because he's got such freedom to play alongside Casemiro. It's almost like he kind of is the big brother in the partnership. You know, he just enables Mm. him to just be a bit cheeky and run forward Mm -hmm. and have, you know, get in positions where he can score quite important goals, which he has lately. But not just that, I think um, it's that mentality, isn't it, that's changed. He's a perfectionist and I think Casemiro wants to win. And I think I've, I've heard other podcasts say it's reminiscent of Eric Cantona joining the club when he just perfected training and made the standards on the training pitch so much higher. Casemiro is more, we should be winning these finals. And I think Varane is the same to an extent because they've won so much together. So the mentality, first of all, the way they celebrated the win on the pitch is if it was like the biggest trophy they'd had. You know, bearing in mind they'd won likes of the World Cup quite recently and Champions Leagues together. Um, And they're celebrating with this little tin pot Carabao Cup trophy, which we don't attach a huge amount of value to as English fans. Mm. And they were loving it. But the whole team were just celebrating collectively. And when you think back to Cristiano Ronaldo's time as well, which again was only in November when he left, Mm. that's such a difference from then, isn't it? Just the vibe in the team and in the dressing room.
1: Yeah, and I think, though, this comes you have to contextualise it, that yes, it's the first trophy they've won under Ten Hag. It's the first trophy a lot of the players at the club currently have won. But also, it's in the middle of a a really important season where they're still in three more competitions. You can't write them off for the Premier League. They're still in the FA Cup. And I think they might be favourites for the Europa League right now alongside Arsenal. Let's not forget that only a few days before the Cup final, they had that monumentous win against Barcelona. And they played excellently in that game as well. They should never have been behind in that game. They were absolutely robbed Mm. with that penalty. It was a ludicrous decision in my mind. But they they had the strength and that winning mentality, like we discussed, to come back into that game. And then they played a cup final three days later. And I I just thought that it was never in doubt. And I think that's one of the reasons the celebrations were so strong, because it does feel like a bit of a turning point. And a bit of a, no, look, we are here. We are going to be competing for silverware more often. And the fact that we yeah. that we have the depth in our squad and the talent in our squad to turn around that quickly, I think that says a lot. It's worth pointing out that Casemiro is not the only influential signing in this team right now. Because Lissandro Martinez, he was outstanding in this game once yeah. again. I think, Phenomenal. And you cannot underestimate the impact that he's had on this United team, the stability he's brought to the back line when we've had the uncertainty of Victor Lindelof, Eric Bailly, even Harry Maguire to an extent over the last couple of years. Going back further, Phil Jones was on punditry. He's still a Man United player, which is just hilarious to me. Lissandra Martinez, he embodies exactly what Ten Hag would want of his players. Maximum effort, cool, calm, collected on the ball, fighting for everything. That's what you need to win a final. And he showed that. And the other player that I think has a really similar mentality is his former Ajax teammate, Anthony, who came under a bit of criticism for being a bit too flashy at times. But actually, I think you see the legwork he puts in as well. He runs, he tracks back and also has that frightening touch moving forward. His goal against Barcelona reflected that. And I thought actually he was a constant threat in this game too. He changed the Barcelona game when he came on. I thought he was outstanding in that one. And then in the final, again, it looked like he was confident. It looked like he was ready to take the game to Newcastle. There was that moment, obviously, where he beat Dan Byrne about four times before Joel kicked him up into the air. But that's the kind of player that United want, that spirit, that passion. And Ten Hag's obviously brought that philosophy over with him.
0: Yeah, I think seeing the likes of um, Antti, of course, he had a difficult start, but he's never really been in doubt of his own ability. And I think that's instilled in him by a coach like hmm. Ten Hag. And I think he's bought the best out of a few players as well. And yeah. that's what coaches do. Um Aaron wan he's been great, like a transformed player, hasn't he? Even Fred, to an extent, he just is unrecognisable. But Marcus Rashford's probably the one where you look at him and go, he just needed an arm around his shoulder. Mm. Some professional standards put in place. And I think he even said that the treatment that Ten Hag gave him for being late to a meeting, to training, mm was absolutely what he needed. Uh, I think that coupled with the way he's handled Ronaldo mm. sets the bar, doesn't it? Keep, it? Sets the bar high.
1: Keep going with that list. Luke Shaw's had a difficult time at Man United yeah. under a couple of different coaches and he's f- he's been phenomenal this season. De Gea looks at his best at the moment. Jalen Sancho had that spell where he needed to come out of the team, but actually he's come back and looked really bright. We're seeing the best of Bruno Fernandes again. This is Christian Erickson's first trophy in England, which seems mental, really, but Not when you consider how long he was at Spurs, I suppose. But, of course, he looks like a different player. Ten Hag is a coach. That's the the biggest difference. Solskjaer was not a coach. Ranik, I don't know what he was. Mourinho is more of a manager these days and tries to play with the system a bit more. But the individual player is being heavily coached right now. and you can see it because it's a different game from most of these players. It's not worked for everyone didn't work for Ronaldo, we've not seen Marshall come back the way we thought we would but Ten Hag's got enough of a squad there and enough unity in that squad and that strong spine That that's all they need yeah. and with another summer coming I wonder where United kick on to next season it's inevitable that they'll move in for another striker, they might want another midfielder or they'll keep Sabitzer. they'll probably go for one yeah. more wide forward if Marshall moves on that's a strong yeah. side then that's a really really strong it side
0: is. I think they've pretty much been told as well uh, that they've got to sell to buy if he wants to get anybody in the summer. So mm. that's kind of indicative of how we've just loaned players in the January window. Mm. But some really solid loan signings as well. Like you say, Sabitza slotted in quite yeah, nicely. Yeah, great agree. Veghorst has moved back to sort of a number 10 position and actually played a really pivotal role when we've gone forward in spreading the play. He scored one goal, but everything else no, has he's has been, been great. pretty good. Um, And again, I think identifying roles for players and where they fit into a team in a system is another strength of 10 hogs. It's great.
1: And a takeover could happen before the summer. You never know. Or maybe not before the summer, but it's on the cards, isn't it? And actually, United must be such an exciting prospect for someone to buy again. You know they've got the global fan base. You know they've got the reputation. Now, Mm -hmm. it looks like they might have the management structure and the playing staff that could kick on. They still are lacking a lot, don't get me wrong. The stadium needs huge investment, as we've talked about multiple times on the podcast. There still needs to be a better structure at board level. Of course there does. But you have to be excited by where United are going right now, surely. And actually, I think if you look at that starting 11 we're watching the Champions League come back at the moment. How many starting elevens are we seeing in the Champions League that are better than Man United right now on current form? It's weird to see them in the Europa League even, to be totally honest. But they should win that competition. Yeah. If, if it's not Arsenal, they should win that competition.
0: There. Well, I always err on the side of caution because we've been here under Jose Mourinho. We won the League Cup. Mm-hmm. We won the Europa League. Yeah. Um, we qualified for the Champions League via the Europa League as well because we needed to. And I actually thought that was a turning point then. could have been. I thought we had a team that included Zlatan at the time. Yeah. Paul Pogba was coming to some kind of form. It felt like professionalism had been raised quite a lot and yeah. it needed to be. And then it went back to sort of a horrendous dressing room again. Yeah. So I don't want to get too carried away with a Carabao Cup win, <laughs> but you're right. This feels different. It just feels different from a United fans point of view. We've not seen this much, I don't know, autonomy given to a manager, uh, a manager that can deal with that kind of pressure as well. Um, show a real strength and authority in authority and letting a player like Cristiano Ronaldo walk out the mm. door because of, you know, a distinct lack of discipline. And that's fantastic. We needed that. Because far too long players have ruled the roost at Manchester United. I don't think that's the case now.
1: Yeah, I don't want to diminish the Carabao Cup win at all. But actually, I know what you're saying about not wanting to get carried away with that. i take more from the win on Thursday than the final win. Beating, beating Barcelona across two legs was was absolutely excellent. And I thought that was more of a marker of where United are at right now. And their form in the league is just outstanding. So there's plenty to to be encouraged by. I, I think it, it all depends on where the club go next. You mentioned that season under Mourinho. I think that could have been a turning point. But then think about what happened that summer. Mourinho wanted to get all out to get a new centre-back and they said no. So he ended okay. up leaving, things went wrong. And then they signed Harry Maguire a year later than Mourinho wanted him for twice as much money. And and the rest is history. So as long as United make the correct steps next, who knows? I, I don't want to say United, I'm not Rio Fernand. United are back given the 10-year deal or anything. But... It's it's a positive direction. I can't remember last time I thought I thought that about a Man United side.
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, again, I'll, I'll stay cautious, but it feels <laughs> like cautious optimism at the moment for the first time in a while. Yeah. But from a Newcastle perspective, mm. Newcastle getting to the final of a Cup competition for the first time in a long time since the the nineties is is a you know is it two thousand the last qualified in ninety nine mm. actually mm-hmm. when United won the travel for the FA Cup final. It felt significant. And Mm -hmm. we've said a few times that Newcastle seem well ahead of schedule from what we were saying. They could potentially be top four in the Premier League. It looks very likely now, doesn't it? Um, But their shortcomings were still on show, I think, against a team like United. You saw the team that Newcastle had out there. Callum Wilson is not really a top four kind of striker, is he? He's good, but he has Mm -hmm. his limitations. Off the bench, Newcastle were so far behind what United had to bring on. It's a stark contrast between two teams that are only a place apart in the Premier League. So what do Newcastle take from this? Is this just a bonus getting to the final?
1: I think it's a bit of a wake-up call. I'm not going to lie. I don't think it's a given that Newcastle get top four. I don't think they will now. I'm pretty confident Spurs will catch them. Well, they're already above them now, Spurs, aren't they? And I'm pretty sure that a couple of other teams might do the same. Their form lately has been really, really poor. And I think the depth of their squad is starting to show I think the fact that they didn't invest heavier in, in January that like a lot of us might have expected them to do to try and cement that place in the top four is really, really clear now. Because like you said, the depth they have and the players they brought off the bench, that's just such a poor level. They're unfortunate, yeah. obviously. That Well, I say unfortunate, it was his own doing. But not having Nick Pope for the final makes a big difference. And the confidence of your whole back line changes when you don't have the normal number one there. I know they've had injuries at key parts of the season. Like Isak's never really got going because they've had so many injuries with him. Wilson's very injury prone. But I actually think if you look at their current form, does Miguel Almiron's form before the World Cup flatter to deceive how good Newcastle have actually been this season? Defensively, they've been really strong. But like you said, they, they looked like they were never going to score in this game. I don't know where a goal was going to come no. from in this game. And... That's been pretty consistent in the league lately. They're drawing a lot of games. They had that long and beaten run, but they're not winning a lot. And that's yeah. that's a problem for them. If they're looking to cement a European place this season, I think they're going to struggle. I think they, they should be aiming for top six now because of the position they're in. If you'd offered them that at the start of the season, I think they would have snapped your hand off a cup final and top six. It's disappointing considering how safe they looked in the top four. But I was just really surprised that we didn't see more ambition from them in January, considering the resources that they have at their disposal. I thought they were really poor really? in this game. I'll be totally honest. I, I thought they were really, really underwhelming.
0: Interesting you think that they'll get caught in the top four race as well. Um, I kind of agree, mainly because they haven't been there before, but also the quality is so lacking, like you say. And uh, a combination of those two things, there are teams better than them coming up behind them as well I mean the Premier League is so unpredictable and Tottenham again there's another one we'll talk about later they're so unpredictable as well so they might not make it either to the top four but who else behind them is is ready to take it on not many so yeah I think they've still got a good chance but it's in their own hands
1: I think really if you look at that Newcastle squad if you were going to say that they were going to be in the Champions League next season I think you could argue six players are probably at that standard I think you could say Nick Pope Botman Trippier, Bruno Gimoresh, Alexander Isak, and then, based on the form he's shown this season, maybe Miguel Almiron, but even that's not... We've not seen that always from him. I think I'd struggle Trig. to name many others that I could see playing for a top four side. Let's not forget, nearly a year ago, we thought Newcastle were going to get relegated. True. And other than the ones I've just named, the rest of the squad is exactly the same as that squad, really. So, it's... I think they're further behind than we think they are. I think the fact that the rest of the league are having such a bad year has flattered Newcastle to a degree. I don't want to discredit what they've done because I think Eddie Howe is doing a great job there and he has stabilised that defence, which really isn't isn't the best defence in the league by some distance, but he's turned them into that. So there's definitely potential within Newcastle, but I think it's probably a season too early for them right now. I think they need a bit more investment to kick on really to where we, we expect them to be.
0: European qualification is not out of the question, though. I think that's no. still a massive achievement for them, and a cup final as well. You know, not a bad, uh, not a bad take that if, like you say, they've taken that at the start. But um, moving further down the table, but not a huge amount below, is Aston Villa. Should we talk about uh, about Ollie Watkins for a second? Yeah. Wow. What's changed with him this season, and and talk to us about this record that he's broken, this run that he's on at the moment.
1: Right. Can I just say I've been an Ollie Watkins. Enthusiast from the day he joined Villa and I've never let that slip I have hated any moment of criticism that he's ever got I think whenever Mm. he's he's been on the pitch for Villa he's given 110% and it's coming to fruition now because it feels like a repeat of what we just said about Man United he's being coached properly which I think makes all the difference for a striker he had a difficult time under Gerrard I think it's safe to say and I think even... Once Danny Ings came in at Villa, a good player should always push another player to be better. There was always a struggle to get that dynamic right with those two. And I think it, that that's why I wasn't too upset about seeing Ings go in January. Not because I thought he was a bad player, but just because I'm really happy to see the trust that Emery's put into Watkins. And that is what what's paying off right now. If you look at Villa's lineup since Emery's come in, Watkins is an ever-present. He's the one that he's going to rely on. And he's rotated the rest of the forward line quite a lot. It's Bailey one week or Duran might come in or we might see Buendia or Coutinho. But Watkins will always be there. And that vote of confidence from an elite level coach has to has to mean something to him. Five goals, five games, is outstanding, for Ollie Watkins, something that he's always been criticised for, not being a consistent enough goal scorer, which I think completely overlooks everything he does for Aston Villa we've yeah. talked so many times about his work rate, his off the ball movement, his passing ability. I think Watkins is exactly the kind of striker Villa need right now. I think if if the irony is say it didn't work with Danny Ings. Emery likes to play with two forwards and I think with the right forward we'd see an even better version of Bolly Watkins. But this is the play that's always been there. This is the play yeah. that got into the England squad. This is the play that should be True. in the England squad. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that this is who I want leading Villa's attack for another couple of years now. He's outstanding. I don't think it's a stretch to say he'll beat Villa's all-time goal scoring record in the Premier League at some point.
0: His finishing is incredible. I think that often has gone unnoticed because he's been a bit more peripheral to the Aston Villa lineup with Gerrard in charge. And it's a real shame because it was a waste of talent. Mm. And I think Gerrard just tried to shoehorn too many players in too many positions, too many square pegs and too many round holes. He was often shunted wide quite a lot, wasn't he? But he's pretty much front and centre now as well. But I think you can't underplay the part that confidence makes on a striker. Mm-hmm. And like you say, having a coach like Emery going, you're my striker, you're my number nine, basically. Go and show me what you can do. He's absolutely proven that right, hasn't he? And it's he's, he's proved that Emery was right to back him as well by yeah. not just selling Ings, but by giving him that huge vote of confidence as well. And the system behind him is working better. The midfield is, is much better
1: aligned than it was under Gerrard to, to provide him with yeah. the right service. I mean, if you look at how McGinn and Ramsey played in this game, for example, they were excellent. And they pressed high, just as Watkins does. I think too often, particularly under Gerrard, we saw Watkins doing everything by himself up front. He was the only one putting that pressure on. And then it's really easy yeah. to pass your way around him. And he looks like he's not been productive. But when he's got the support from the two number 10s that, that Emery picked in this game, that shows what his work ethic is worth. When everyone else takes his lead, that's a massive step for Villa in terms of getting past their playing out from the back system or even as a Sean Dyche Everton might play. They hassle defenders who aren't that confident on the ball and it worked. I think we saw with the, the second goal in particular with Brian Dia's footwork and McGinn managed to, yeah. to get that ball over to him. What Villa are capable of doing when they attack teams, and Watkins wants to attack teams, he wants to be on the front foot. And that, that to me, is, is such an important thing as a striker. I'm really interested That's to see what great. his role is next season, because Emery has said quite openly, and it's very highly reported, that we want a big number nine to go alongside him at some point. There's massive talk that they're going to go back in for Tammy Abraham at some point, and it might be the right time to make that kind of move as Villa because his stock is slightly lower than it was the season before. So we'll see. But I'm excited to have Watkins at Villa. always have been. I've always wanted us to hold on to him whenever there's been interest from other clubs. And I think Emery clearly feels the same, and he's got that faith in him. And I hope this whole scoring run continues. I'll tell you that much. We needed a win. (laughs)
0: It appears that way, doesn't it? The confidence is there from the manager to the player. But a couple of questions for you related to Villa generally, because you've been off the pod for a couple of weeks and really (laughs) keen to get your take on the way things are going at the moment, because it's Mm -hmm. not been quite as positive as the last time we spoke. It's been a few defeats on the bounce. First of all, um, Emi Martinez, his future, (laughs) the incident, the way Emery came out and sort of publicly um, held him up as an example of, I don't know, defying his rules, what do you make of that? And can you see him being at Villa beyond the summer?
1: So that goes one of two ways. We have a 10 Hag Rashford situation where he's disciplined or called out and he goes, yep, I deserve that. I click on and I do better. Or you have a player who feels disgruntled and thinks, oh, I don't need to be talked about like that. I thought it was an odd comment from Emery's point of view, if I'm totally honest. You, not to dismiss anything he's doing and I 100% back him in any decision he makes. But there was always reports that him and Martinez didn't get on that well at Arsenal. So if you're aware that that's murmuring on in the background, you support him 100%. Uh, he was probably He's right. Martinez should look to his manager for confirmation. He should do what the manager wants him to do. But I think you also have a duty of care to just protect the player in that situation because it was a really yeah. unfortunate situation. But... Who's still in the starting lineup at the weekend? He's still one of the best goalkeepers in the world. In fact, he's up for the FIFA Men's Awards this evening. I you have to keep him. You absolutely have to keep him because there is no one better for Aston Villa right now. Villa could get 80 million for him. I don't think that's how much they get. But it doesn't matter how much money you give Aston Villa, they're not going to replace Emmy Martinez with a better keeper. So why would you ever sell him? And he loves, he loves being at Villa. He said really openly he wants to win things at Villa. And I think we're on the right trajectory to do that if we invest around world-class players, not sell them on. So, yeah, it would be ludicrous to let him go. And I was really glad that not only did we get a win this weekend, he got another clean sheet because we've been conceding way too many goals the last few games. Yeah, Man City, Leicester, Arsenal, it was really disappointing how many goals we conceded. When actually there was some pretty good individual performances in there, like Tyrone Mings has had two goal line clearances in the last two games, he still won't get talked about as how well he's playing. But it
0: happens. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't think he's at his best when I've seen him. I don't think the defense for Villa has been as good. Conter's been a bit off his game as well. Yeah, but, um, Martinez. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, you hope he stays because Villa fans' opinion has been pretty much split down the middle on this one for Martinez. And, you know, a lot of them siding with the coach and understandably there is Mm. a bit of Ten Hag-Ronaldo sort of feel to it, isn't there as well? But it's a weird time to to call it out, though, isn't there, in some ways? like There's still a lot of football to be played. I just think he's a little bit angry at the way things are going at the moment, Emery. He's probably taking it out on Martinez as the scapegoat right now.
1: I don't think it's as big a deal as it's being made to be. And I think people are looking for it to be a bit of a narrative because he is the biggest player at the club right now. And obviously, because he's won the World Cup, it's, oh, we must be overly arrogant now because he's got a World Cup winner's medal. Nothing about him suggests that in terms of the way he treats Aston Villa. Yes, he's really confident on the pitch. Yes, he tries to wind up the opposition, but he never says anything other than, I love this club. I'm grateful to what this club have done for me. I want to be at this club. So I think people are trying to make more of a meal out of this than it actually is, if I'm totally honest. And I think any Villa fan that says, oh, we can go if he wants, they're just worried about getting burnt again after what happened with Jack Grealish. <laughs> I don't think it's absolutely yeah. true. No Villa fan wants a penny Martinez to go. Not one of them, not at all. What they do need is better organisation from set-pieces. That's why we're conceding so many goals at the moment. We switch up at set-pieces so easily. I think we've conceded 13 from set-pieces this year. Isn't that ridiculous? And that that needs to stop as soon as possible.
0: With um, regards to Watkins as well, we're talking about the midfield combinations behind him. What would you say from the tinkering that's happened in midfield is the best combination to get the best out of Oli Watkins? and, And also not just Ollie Watkins, but for you to see which midfield combination works? Because John McGinn was massively favoured by Stephen Gerrard, wasn't he? He's been a little bit more peripheral this season. The midfield combinations have changed a little bit. What works for you?
1: Do you know what? I don't know. And that's a really nice position to be in. Because actually, it's because... They all look really good at the moment. You've got two guaranteed starters in Bubakar Kamara and Douglas Luiz. They will always be yeah. your pivot. And that is excellent to me. Both of them really confident, really good on the ball, great passing range, but also read the game really well. So I'm really happy with those two being there. Then Emery likes to play with these two players behind the front two. Now that could be any of Jacob Ramsey, John McGinn, Philippe Coutinho, Emmy Buendia. What a great position that is. That is yeah. unbelievable depth for Aston Villa, actually. And I thought we probably needed another midfielder, if I'm totally honest, because McGinn was really off form. Ramsey had had some injuries and we hadn't quite seen the same Ramsey we'd seen last season. Coutinho started the season awfully. And Buendia yeah. just never looks the favourite for some reason. But actually, yeah. Coutinho was excellent against Arsenal is looking like he's getting some match fitness back but when Deer came on against Everton and scored as he always does against Everton which is which is great and i thought Ramsey and McGinn were both phenomenal i thought they played really really well and McGinn, McGinn looks more like John McGinn again he's pressing high yeah. he's aggressive he's playing the ball at the right time he's not ballooning shots at for ever, throw-ins every time he gets the ball he looks a lot more assured so i don't know what the best villa midfield is right now because you've got those four options in those two spaces I think it depends as well on who you play up front. If you play Leon Bailey, he tends to drift out wide a bit more. So maybe Coutinho is the best player because he can play off the left a bit more. If you play John Duran or maybe if we start on a new striker, then maybe it's better to have narrower playmakers like Buendia. So I'm just glad that we have the depth and the options right now. I think it will depend on the opponent. I don't like tinkering too much. I like to have a set 11. And Villa have been successful when they've done that in the past. But actually, if that's how Emory wants to work it, it's great variety to have. Really, really encouraging for me.
0: Competition is never a bad thing. And no. uh, I think to put this awful run of games and defeats to bed now with a victory, not just a victory, but one where Ollie Watkins take, rightfully takes the headlines, takes the heat off the situation a bit, and makes panic disappear, doesn't it? Do you know what,
1: though? It, you say awful run of defeats. It was because we conceded so many goals. And it's frustrating yeah. to lose three games in a row. But. Man City, Villa have got a terrible record against the, the reigning champions. I think we've only beaten the reigning champion once away from home in, in Premier League history. Isn't it ridiculous? Like, it's a really odd stat where we just we always get battered by, by the best team in the country. It's annoying. The Arsenal game, I'm still not over. I just had to spend a week on holiday with a load of Arsenal fans, which didn't make it any better. But Villa were really unfortunate there. Arsenal's third goal is offside, very clearly offside. Villa had a goal disallowed against Arsenal last season for exactly the same thing. It's just one of those big club bias things. And then the fourth goal doesn't happen if the third one doesn't go in. That's frustrating, but I'm not that upset about the loss because it shouldn't have happened in the first place. The Leicester game is the only one that I look at and go wow, they needed to wake up. They really, really needed to do something about
0: that. But Yeah, that was poor. Yeah. yeah. With regards to teams that needed to win, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that Villa did, but no, we moved on to West <laughs> Yeah, you did, you did. Yeah. But West Ham needed to win and we were yeah. talking on the last pod how the pressure was so intense on David Moyes now and I was quite brutal about his limitations as a manager and how West Ham have gone as high as they can possibly go with him at the helm and mm. the players they've got have made the intensity on expectation too much for someone like David Moyes um okay I want to get your take on that first of all but they beat Forest 4-0 in this game as well which was crucial wasn't it and there's been talk of well Declan Rice is open and he said that the players have kind of met proactively um nothing that David Moyes has requested they've decided to get together and go what is going on this season what do we need to do And the result of that has been a 4-0 victory in their most important game so far of the season. So what's your take on the West Ham situation and more importantly, David Moyes at the moment as their manager?
1: It's such a funny one to judge because actually West Ham shouldn't be anywhere near the position they're in. And David Moyes has done a phenomenal job at the club, but something's not working right now. I think it's, it's pretty well known that the only reasons Moyes still has that job is A, the credit he has in the bank from a couple of really good seasons with them. And B, is there a better option for West Ham right now? Who can West Ham realistically go out and get that's going to do a better job than David Moyes? I think they're probably hanging on to the summer because they don't feel like there's the right candidate available for them right now. But I just find it mental. When you look at that squad, it's an excellent squad of players. On the bench this weekend... They had Alphonso Ariola, who they signed from PSG and has been at Real Madrid before. Let's not forget. I think they had Cresswell and Emerson. Emerson's a, I think Emerson has a Champions League winners' medal from his time at Chelsea. They yeah. had Antonio, who's their record goal scorer in the Premier League. Skamaka, who they just signed for mad money. Fornals, Lanzini. That's their bench. Yeah, Th- those players are far too good to be in a relegation battle. Far, far too good. Not even thinking about the fact they've got a world class holding midfielder in Declan Rice. It's not to think about the form that Jarrod Bowen was in last season. It's it's bizarre that West Ham find themselves where they do. Something needs to turn. I'd like to say this game could be the turning point, but there's been false dawns in West Ham's season all through it, really, hasn't there? But something Well that
0: begs the question, yeah. doesn't it? That's what we were saying. If it's not the players, if the squad is right, if the transfer activity in the summer has been decent. Yeah. Which on paper, it has. They're very good players. Then it has to be the manager. So yeah. I think the thing I want you to consider is if the players are getting together to meet almost in secret to go, what do we need to do to get out of this? Yeah. Surely that's the manager's job on the training pitch to galvanize them and to get them going. David Moyes mm-hmm. clearly isn't doing that. The limitations yeah. have been so obvious. And I think we've seen West Ham fans in our comments on our videos saying that. If before Christmas they'd have got rid of David Moyes, there'd have been the likes of Lopetegui still hadn't gone to Wolves at that point Mm. before the World Cup. Yeah. You know, Unai Emery, Aston Villa. Mm. In terms of squad quality, there's not much difference between West Ham and those two teams, I don't think. No. There's potential in all three. Very similar level on paper. So why didn't they bite the bullet sooner? It feels so, I don't know, prehistoric to have someone like David Moyes and an owner like David Sullivan at the helm. And I think West Ham fans are just furious that they aren't moving forward and going for more continental forward-thinking coaches.
1: Yeah, I think their squad is far better than Wolves' squad, for example. But it's yeah. one of those where I think because they they invested so heavily in the summer, they are trying to see if Moyes can get that to work because they've backed a manager that's that's given them some success. They're run, running the Europa League last year. That's not long ago. And only a couple of seasons ago, we were talking about whether they were or not they would finish fourth. Now, if you're kind to me, you'll go back to the start of the season and find the show where I said, David Moyes will not be West Ham manager in the end of the season. And it felt like a big shock. But it's not because he's no. always had limitations as a manager. We saw this at Everton where he struggled to get goal scorers really going. And they, they had a ceiling. Everton. They were always going to be about sick. And then every now and again, they'd fall right off and they'd look like they were going to get to relegation. And the next season, they'd come back up again. And then at Man United, he showed his limitations. He didn't know how to manage world-class players. West Ham have just gone out and bought some incredibly good players. Skamaka is outstanding. We haven't seen that from him yet. Lucas Paqueta is outstanding. We've seen glimmers of that, but not enough of it. And I do think that there are limitations to a manager like David Moyes. I don't think he'll be there next season. I don't know who the right option is, though, for West Ham. I honestly don't. You're right that maybe they could have acted earlier, but Lopetegui seemed like he was always going to Wolves. Emery, maybe they could have moved for as well. London club, big big transfer budget. It, it would have made sense. Now they're running out of options without kind of going a bit left field, and that seems risky too. When you've just invested so much money. So while they remain in their European competition, while they aren't cut adrift from the rest of the league, Moyes will get the season. He'll he'll go in the summer though. I'm pretty sure.
0: Well, this game against Forest, again, like we say, was must win. It had to be a victory. Otherwise, it would have been serious trouble for West Ham. And they left it really, really late. It wasn't until the last 20, 25 minutes that they actually scored and broke the deadlock. Danny Ings was instrumental. He's returned to the team in in some really good form. And obviously, you've seen what he can offer in flashes at at Villa. Um, But they've brought a few players back into the fold. Pakitar came into the squad again. He'd been out of the team for a while. Um, Ben Rama as well, two assists when he came back. So Mm -hmm. there's a few players who had a point to prove and yeah maybe this meeting between the players actually was to kick up the backside they needed
1: yeah and let's not forget that Forrest had been in excellent form lately as well so this was a huge not a way win they for them have they? well no I suppose not but when you look at the league table what West Ham need to do is start dragging other teams into it and yeah Forrest was starting to look a little bit out of reach for West Ham so it was a huge huge result it looked like it was going to be a very boring game they were unfortunate They hit the woodwork a few times earlier in the game, but like you say, it came to life in the last twenty minutes because they they didn't give up, and that's the sign of a team that maybe are a bit more behind the manager than we've seen before. If you you see,
0: if
1: you the reason I say that is you see teams like this go through this slump where they find themselves down in the bottom three, and then those unlucky moments like when Bowen hits the post that happens, and their heads drop and the game goes. It didn't with West Ham. And actually, the changes Moyes made worked. Like Antonio came on, he scored almost immediately. Yeah. And I think it was a 4 hours assist who he just brought on as well. So I, I think there's fight in West Ham still. I think they've got the right characters around the club. Mark Noble's mm-hmm. still around as a sporting director, obviously, and that's a huge thing for them. Rice, as their captain, really is a leader on the pitch, and his goal showed what quality he has. And when you've got someone like Danny Ings who will get into the right positions, you're going to get... Five, six, seven goals from Ings between January and the end of the season. That that seems quite likely to me, and that could be the difference. I don't, I don't think West Ham are going to be in the bottom three. I don't think they're going to be in the bottom five by the end of the season. They'll get themselves out of this trouble because they're 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 too good. I don't like that saying normally about a side because you're in the bottom three because you've played badly. But West Ham are too good yeah. to be in the bottom three, so I think they'll be fine.
0: Well, it was a moment that felt like a turning point. A bit like United winning a the, winning the cup feels like a turning point. Another potential turning point is Chelsea's defeat to Tottenham. And I feel like every week there's a new turning point. It feels <laughs> like it's extended even more for Graham Potter week by week. Yeah. But he's still got the backing of, of the board, despite losing to Tottenham 2-0. Chelsea just don't lose to Tottenham normally. Mm. And the way they collapsed against Spurs... Um, it was a terrible performance. They had nothing in them. They haven't had any sign of a goal in them for a, such a long time. Now, the record for Graham Potter doesn't read very well anyway, no. but seeing it in a game like this where you know Spurs haven't been amazing this season, but they looked so much better than this Chelsea squad that's had hundreds of millions spent on it. Mm-hmm. The question is, I guess, for you, we've asked this last time as well with, with Dave on the pod, what do Chelsea have to do? How far do they have to go for them to go... Graham Potter's got to go? Because it feels like a new low appears every week. You said Champions League defeat. Do you still feel like that is the, the turning point? That would be the, the end of Potter if they don't beat Dortmund?
1: Yeah, I think I think it will be. Um, and for the first time, I think I'm going to say it should be. Um, I feel really sad yeah. to say that because I really like Graham Potter. Um, I think he is a great coach, but this is the wrong job for him. And I think we said that at the time, that it felt like an odd job for him to take. But you understand why he took it. You kind of have to take it if if you're off of that elite level. But this isn't the right move for him. And I think he's getting a lot of excuses made for him, if I'm totally honest. Because actually, 100%. the problems we're seeing are quite Potter problems. They're not scoring goals. That's what we saw at Brighton. I'm really tired of hearing people say, oh, it's a really hard job for him. No, it's not. It shouldn't be a hard job at all. I think in their starting eleven this week and they had six Champions League winners... I understand that they've invested in young players that are a long-term project. But let's not forget, in the summer, yes, he wasn't the manager. But Chelsea brought in Raheem Sterling, multiple Premier yeah. League winner. Kuda Bali, who just won the African Cup of Nations and, and had, has had an outstanding career. They've, brought, they've got real quality in that squad still, but it's got yeah. worse since he's been there. That's not a hard job for me. Having a lot of players might be difficult to manage, but having a lot of players of the quality that Chelsea have and getting things wrong consistently, that's not right to me. Saying Chelsea really lack a number nine when they've got Aubameyang sat on the bench. Now, I know this isn't a Aubameyang that we saw at Dortmund or even his early days at Arsenal. Let's not forget, he went to Barcelona last January when Barca were really struggling without a number nine. He scored 11 goals in 17 games in La Liga. Yeah. That's exactly what Chelsea need right now.
0: They scored one goal yeah. this
1: month. And part of this stubborn,
0: This stubborn-like philosophy of playing with a false nine and th- I don't know the insistence on playing Kai Havertz when he's mm. playing so badly. Hakim ZX on the pitch as well. He shouldn't yeah, that's be weird. there. That's weird. And he's playing terrible. He should have been sent off again, but then it got retracted. So mm. it was a weird game for Chelsea all round. And it's weird to see it unfold because... They spent a lot of money. Mm. Uh, you'd expect them to do better. But it feels like the players that they have bought. there's no leaders there. I can't see anybody, apart from Thiago Silva, who was already yeah. there. Once he went off the pitch, I thought, well, who's going to raise the game of the team now? Like, but, there's nobody there to, to stand up and be counted, I don't think.
1: That's a Chelsea thing, though, because these players have been leaders elsewhere. Southgate talks really openly that Sterling is a leader in the England camp. Kudabali is a leader. They've got experienced players there. Now, I know that they have been blighted with injuries this season. I think it's the first time Rhys James and Ben Chilwell have started a game together in goodness how, it was, how long. But that's not... I don't think that's enough of an excuse anymore. Because I think he's getting his selection wrong half the time. He's got yeah. Fafana and Buddy Sheeley on the bench in this game, despite the fact that Buddy sheeley has been their best centre-back since he came in. And Kudabali is out of form right now. You say about Massive. Havertz being out of form and why he persists with playing him as a false nine. We've seen that work for Chelsea. He got a Champions League winning goal for Chelsea in a false nine. It's the way Pazza developing um, that
0: false nine that's not working in my mind. I feel like he, he feels like when he's on the pitch, he feels like the buy-in isn't there for what Chelsea are doing. And I don't know if you can read too much into body language, but mm. there was him. I think Ben Chilwell as well got a bit He'd off at the end of the game, you could see dissent creeping in. That's when you start to know that the players aren't happy with what's going on there. And I yeah. just don't feel they look at Graham Potter and go, Yeah, this guy's got it covered. Whereas yeah. Eric Ten Hag, even though he's come from the Eredivisie divisi, he's got this aura of my way or the highway about him. I don't see that in Potter in it. Chelsea fans all over social media will kind of tell you the same. Mm. They want to see a leader in the dugout and yeah. they just don't seem to have one at the minute.
1: Yeah, and when you see footage circulating of them coming out of the tunnel where they all just look incredibly lethargic, that was doing the rounds for a while, wasn't it? That's not the most encouraging thing. But I kind of understand why their heads have dropped slightly. Two wins in 15 for a side like Chelsea. They are not used to being in that position. None of those players are. And the investment strategy is so all over the place like, okay, I've just been talking about the positives of signing someone like Raheem Sterling. But then in January, you go and sign three more wingers, I think. And, and you've already got Ziek Pulisic, Mount at the club who play in those attacking positions. No one yeah. knows whether they're coming or going in that Chelsea team. I think Potter has made more changes since he's taken over as Chelsea manager than any manager in the Premier League to his start in 11 you He ain't got a clue what his team is yet. But that authority, that's not... It's not a gift. It's not something you just have. It's something you have to, to take sometimes. It's up to Potter to change yeah. that. That can't be an excuse for him that he's a quiet, nice guy. I hate that he keeps getting asked about that in press conferences and denying it and Go, no, one, I do get angry. All right, show it. Say, this is my 11. This is my 11. I'm going to stick with them for a few weeks. I'm going to let them play. If I lose the first couple, I'm going to develop what I've got. I'm going to move on. He's got all the tools he needs. He's got his own best player from last season in the squad. We've not seen that come come good for him yet. They've spent how much money under Tom Boley now? 500 million? 600 million?
0: Over 600 now, yeah. So it's it's ridiculous money. And he's he's still not bought a number nine afterwards, even though he's got Aubameyang. So again, maybe there's a... I don't think that matters. I I really do. You've got players that can play up front.
1: You've got players that should be able to
0: get your goals. The reason I say I don't think that
1: matters is, look at Arsenal this season. As good as Jesus has been, he's not been a goal scoring number nine. He's not their top goal scorer. In fact, Arsenal distributed their goals across the entire team and the entire forward line. Chelsea have got the players capable of doing that. Look at Man City last season when they won the league. They didn't have a number nine. Yeah. They distribute their goals. Successful teams do that. Players like Z, if he's gonna be playing in the team, players like Habert, they need to be stepping up and getting goals if you're if you're in the absence of a number nine. Gael Felix is the only player right now that looks at the the quality that Chelsea need. The only one. And that's mental to me. They've got the world's most expensive goalkeeper. They've spent 600-odd million since Todd Bowley came in. They've signed Felix on loan. They've got all of this talent. I'm starting to think maybe Potter is the problem. And if it wasn't a young English manager that we quite like from Brighton, he'd be gone by now. Or the press would be calling for him to be gone. If this was a young, yeah. if this had been Nagelsmann, for example, the the press would have been all over him by now, and saying he's got to go, he's got to go, he's got to go. And the pressure would have dropped okay. there. So I'm convinced that yeah, if they lose to Dortmund, they're not going to qualify for Europe next season. In fact, I think if they if they don't win their next game in Villa do, they'll go into the bottom half. So they're not qualifying for Europe. Let's 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 cut that out. Their only yeah. path into Europe is winning the Champions League, and that's never going to happen with this lineup. So yeah, I think if they lose to Dortmund, he, he's probably going to have
0: to go. And rightly so I think by the sense yeah. of it. I think there's not many people that would look beyond a defeat in that game and go yeah, but he still needs time, trust the process. I think all the process has been exhausted by that point. There's no clue what the process is and I think that's part of the problem. Do you
1: know the irony? These two teams that met at the weekend if they could swap managers, I think it would work for both of them.
0: Ooh, yeah, do you know what? Oh,
1: that that would work. Conte is the sort of person that would get it. He's always wants money to spend. He's had money, He would have had money at Chelsea mm. this time round. He'd get a lot of those characters back into shape. He'd get something going. Potter would be able to develop some of the younger players at Spurs without spending the big money. And he's got a goal scorer <laughs> given to him. You can't make Harry Kane not score goals. He can't get that wrong. No. It's impossible. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Something's got to change. I wonder where we see Potter next. But I, I reckon two weeks he's got left, max. I think they will get knocked out to Dortmund. And when they do, I think it's inevitable that he goes, as much as Bowley yeah. wants to say they're going to last with the project, it's got to become a point where it's unsustainable. Because if you're spending that much yeah. money as well, you need European revenue to keep up with financial
0: oh, fair play. Absolutely. Yeah, That's I think that's what the whole model is kind of built on at the moment. So it would be so damaging to get eliminated from the Champions League. But to lose a manager for the second time this season and then try to find somebody to steady the ship for this remaining third of the season. Shouldn't have lost right? the first one though, should they? Yeah, look, we've been banging that drum forever. He's quality Thomas Tuchel he is he's mad, isn't it? <laughs> the longer, um, the, the,
1: f- the further the season goes, the more bizarre that that seems. I think I read the other day that he's responsible for thirty-five percent of the points that Chelsea have got so far this season, and he left in September. Wow, it's insane, isn't it?
0: Do you crazy. think his chance of a Tuchel comeback? Do you think he'd no. go back?
1: If I was him and Bowley <laughs> tried to call me, I'd absolutely laugh in his face. I don't know where Tuchel's going to end up next. I ain't got a clue. probably probably buy in if they they can't win the league
0: yeah we'll see watch this space Um, that's it we've exhausted all the conversation for this week mate good to have you back on the pod thank you again for watching thank you for listening as well Um, please if you obviously listen to this on an audio channel hop onto YouTube you can see us actually in the flesh um, and subscribe to the channel way there if you want to see more sort of bite-sized chunks of what we're talking about rather than the full audio experience that you're experiencing now but Miles great to have you back mate
1: good to be back man